makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power and power. Betu Wastelo Chante Waste na Pechuzapielo Le Unkipiki. Hey Wastelo, greetings and good day and welcome. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. And it's a good day for all of us to be here. This is First Voices Radio, and I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And I'm Teokus and Ghost Horse. And you are listening to an all native hosted, all native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. And you can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org. And uh, for archives, and our, our first guest and only guest for the hour is Ophelia Rivas, who is an elder and activist with the Tohono O'odham Nation and founder of Odom, Odom, founder of Odom Voice Against the Wall. Ophelia also will have a new website online soon called odhamrights.org, which is spelled O-O-D-H-A-M-R-I-G-H-T-S, excuse me. And this hour we'll have a discussion on many thoughts, which is often dialogue, a dialogue of giving. And as Ophelia will share her thoughts on balance and acknowledging the ancestors in the future. Now, don't let that thought get away from you because it's practical that we speak about about other situations, our situations, as any human would be. But this is especially between two indigenous peoples. So those of you who are often wondering, how do Native peoples talk to each other in a foreign language called English? And this is what we do. And so Ophelia, who lives on her homeland, the Tohono O'odham Nation at the border, New, uh, Mexico and Arizona has spent her life battling the abuses 
of the U.S. Border Patrol and U.S. militarization, and she's is battling the Israeli-U.S. spy towers of Elbit systems selected by the U.S. Homeland Security and approved by the tribal government built in Odehem communities. And Ophelia isn't on Facebook, but you can reach her through her website, which is coming soon again, odehemrights.org. And I would like to, you know, express my welcome and my honor um, of having Ophelia here on First Voices as she's at the ready and gives her experience of what it means to be, to be this, um, you know, a native person in today's so-called modern world. So this is um, in the middle of we're picking up a discussion from the get-go. Thank you for joining us this hour. But you have um, the border that no one really knows about. People should be understanding is that that border of Canada, that border of Mexico is very auspicious in a sense that even though Trump is not in place, there's still a wall going up. We can call it electronic wall, radar wall. But it all starts in the minds of those peoples who think about marginalizing Native people even more. And, and now that your experience is as long as you have been fighting, struggling against that border, the wall itself, now it's destroyed all the land, a lot of land, and people don't understand how long this has been going on and what are the uh, implications and even the consequences for Native people. I'm really interested, mm-hmm. Ophelia, about um, what's the humanity in all of this when mm-hmm. it's destroying everything around it. So we'll begin with that. My One of my... Uh, uh, mentors was my aunt and she's a elderly woman and she uh, was the last person born in a region called Chodgum, a root plant uh, that uh, tuber root that they used to the people used to eat uh, but it's uh, grew wild in that area and so when a um, surveyor that was marking the land uh, that would become now the international border placed a metal marker, survey marker, in the middle of the community. It disrupted the flow of that community. Uh, it had U.S. survey, surveyor, and a number on it. And from that beginning, um, the uh, different conversations with that didn't involve the people to begin that marking up our, our, our particular area that uh, is now Mexico and the United States. So it was like uh, when people say tangible and intangible, it was not, it was an intangible type of impact that uh, the people still do not understand when you're living in on the land and you're deeply connected to the land that is uh, a part of who you are in, in, in spiritually, if you can call it that, but, but it's as a whole, a whole autumn, you're very deeply connected to the land and what it what is on there and your and your survival of of who you are on the land is deeply connected to the land. So um, when that marker first showed up on uh, in the middle of a community, it forced that community to move, and they moved uh, north because that's at that time that's where the water was. And, and just to be forced to move, which now, you know, with the border, they have 100 uh, uh, 
miles uh, buffer, so-called buffer territory that encompasses our whole Lone Autumn Nation reservation. And I'm at the, at the very uh, border that uh, they've created called the U.S.-Mexico border, international border. <clears throat> so it impacts us uh, so, so greatly uh, for generations, um, not just this physical barrier that they're putting up or this virtual wall that they've, you know, completed construction and that we are what they call on live time record seven days a week. I mean, 24 hours a, a day, seven days a week in our in our own uh, lands and our own backyards and our own uh, communities. So that kind of impact that's happening is very uh, disturbing, not only to the land, but to us that live there. So it's, it's very inhumane, that kind of treatment that's very inhumane continues uh, where I'm at. And it continues a lot of places you know, for indigenous people and first peoples. So, you know, Ophelia, you know, it's the idea that Columbus came here back in 1492 and he stuck a staff into the ground, proclaiming ownership in a sense. And from that point on, reverberating the toxicity of mental mental thought uh, throughout the Western Hemisphere, especially against the Earth. And when I think about that 100-mile buffer that you talked about and your grandmother going through that time and you being watched, Native people being watched, 24 7 365 is the language they say to convince themselves well mother earth doesn't care it doesn't make a difference whether she's divided up or not and the language that's used for that land is it doesn't matter you know it's all over the world but yet we're saying there's people saying that languages don't count language doesn't count for anything if the earth doesn't doesn't care the difference but there is a difference in you can describe your situation in urgency in the English, but uh, through your language, it's much more respectful to the earth. Almost the opposite of what your language is saying comes English and their thoughts. So we're, we're tussling with their thoughts all the time, trying to explain to them their own toxicity. Is there any more left in themselves to understand what the poison that thinking is doing to just about the earth, to everybody? Absolutely. When um, uh, I re recall, especially in Arizona, when um, one of the governors declared that it was going to be a, a single English language only state. <laughs> and we were saying, OK, what about how many tribes are in there in Arizona and how vital their languages are and that we that we survive those all those other atrocities to continue to use our words. And when you try to find uh, in, in the desert, you know, we have uh, like in uh, the northern country, somebody was saying, well, do you have a word for snow? And I said, we do have, you know, a couple of words for snow, but we have so many words for rain because we're out in the desert, you know. And, and so it's so vital that um, we continue to survive, uh, uh, that our languages survive because it holds it's a vital key to that connection. When we lose that, it's a part of, and it's all in the greater scheme of, uh, of altering us, trying to alter us and trying to minimize us as 
first peoples by sending us to boarding schools and, you know, all the abuse that's happened to the people to try to disconnect us from those, our very words. I'm a very fluent speaker and, uh, and so is my, all my brothers and sisters. And, and uh, when we uh, are together, we don't use any uh, foreign words. We're, all, we're only speaking our own language when we're speaking. And it's, it's unusual these days because of uh, what has happened. And we survived boarding school and, and we're stronger uh, you know, individuals and very determined individuals to continue to, to um, do by, by continuing to live our lives as, as uh, autumn and uh, using our language uh, and singing our songs and acknowledging all those things that uh, do know only our, our autumn language because that's how we were taught. This mountain has this song. You sing that song and it acknowledges that mountain or this particular plant has this song and it's only in autumn. It's not in English or any other language. So those connections that we continue to really uh, continue to, um, you know, advocate strongly for and trying to teach the younger people to, to continue to, to and, con, and go back to teaching the, the words of our people that are the powerful words that um, we continue to survive with. It will not. Uh, it will not diminish us. You know, all these things that has been going on for over 529 years, and we're still here. And you're talking my language, and I'm talking my language, and we're still here. And I hope the young people will continue this work that that this conscious raising that we're trying to build and and trying to continue what the ancestors gave us. And it's so true, Ophelia, when I'm thinking about how I can't talk about destroying the earth, how I can't talk about extracting from the earth, because it's my mother. And yet we're speaking this language called English, which they say is a it's a good language. And we're looking mm-hmm. for the justifications of it. And it's pretty and it does communicate. It's true to a certain extent. But when it comes to the earth, And I was talking to someone earlier today, someone very well educated, and I offered, well, the same thing I offered to you, you know, it's like, what's it to me, it's a bullying language to the earth. English bullies the earth. And so therefore it bullies other people. And in this case, those who speak the earth languages. Yes, it's very uh, authoritative and demanding in the way that the English uh, is spoken and, um, you know, in my voice, I try to speak uh, quietly. Uh, I was taught that way. But in English, there's some words that are really vulgar that we have to speak, you know, and in order to communicate with other people. And it's very, uh, I have to exhaust it from speaking English. And I have to uh, do take care of myself with medicines to uh, come back to uh, being, uh, to my autumn words after I have a long conversation in English, <laughs> it's very disturbing. And I, I believe that the young people that have grew, that grew up with English words are, are very, um, they're not uh, so much that, that there, are, there are some disconnection there, but that, that spiritual connection with those words that's missing out of the young people 
in my village uh, when I was growing up, you never heard English words, ever, ever hear any English words. But today when the little kids are playing, that's all they're speaking. And it's very disturbing. And I talk to them in autumn all the time. My little grandson, I, I talk to him and I sing to him in, in autumn. And he, uh, he just, uh, it just really calms him. And he's a, he becomes more human and more uh, sacred and spiritual in those, even in those, that tone of a song. It really, that's what they're, that's what the land is. And the words that we use are very uh, in harmony with uh, Mother Earth. You know, we're not, uh, um, we don't do anything to try to uh, harm, harm Mother Earth in any way. And when I'm thinking about this, uh, acknowledging the song line, so to speak, that the Tohono O'odham had across the so-called border, has that energy been interrupted in a way, um, temporarily it feels like, you know, when you talk about the live time record is, but that's a reality, who we are, who you are as Tohono O'odham, is that there can't be a future without the earth, there can't be a past without the earth, so you have to be right here. And yet uh, progress, as it's described in American or the Western way, it talks about being better than what you are now. And yet it it's all comes back to the earth. So when you're speaking your language, when, when I'm speaking the language that I know in front of other people that are not Native, it's the language they're dying for. In other words, they want to hear it all the time. And it just does something else. It doesn't come from the head. And so I, when I speak my language, they're all... Could you speak some more of that? Could you say some yes. more? You know, I you know get what that this, all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, that because of those, uh, the borders that um, that physically bisected our, some of our lands with, uh, with an actual physical wall, it does not, uh, it does not hinder our spiritual connection to the lands on the other side because we continue to go to the sea to, do our offerings and sing our songs and we continue to go to ceremony, which will be going soon. Uh, that's an, also an, on the Southern side of our lands. And we have to cross that barrier. And we've crossed that barrier uh, all my lifetime, I've crossed it. So I'm still, uh, I'm, sur- I'm a survivor of that, but there's, uh, there's a small, um, uh, amount of people or number of people that uh, that use that as a hindrance and uh, and it has been uh, uh, impacting them and has impacted us uh, through that because of the, the because of the brainwashing you know they they're told oh you know you have uh, these conditions so you you can't cr- cannot cross the border and uh, yet it's just um, it's a, it's just a physical thing. You just easily go across and come back again. It's and and spiritually, it's it doesn't stop that at all. And so, when we're talking about this border going up, the electronic border, if you will, it's really the involvement of other countries on the Turtle Island soil, so to speak, the Earth of Turtle Island, and yet it's still deemed the U.S. soil, deemed mm-hmm. their ownership, their country, their nation. But it's hard for me to to even call it a nation if everything is taken. 
and stolen. And it's even beyond our people um, that they've taken the future from children. So when I'm thinking about this border that has been built physically, but also the the surveillance, um, the technology that's being inlaid, and it's almost like at the other end, Ophelia, when we're talking about prayer and the energy that can't be stopped, even with technology. So what is alarming to others or should be alarmed to others that this electronic border is being put up uh, by other cooperating nations and even sending people to be trained in the deserts and even on close to um, public lands, but also n- near indigenous lands in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, you know, living there uh, in those conditions, it's it's, um, it's a daily kind of uh, existence. And I think uh, so many um, people living in either countries or uh, around the world um, see it as a, uh, these two countries. But you're right, you know, we were not part of that um, conversation when these borders were made. We're not a part of the conversation when these these plans to put the borders up and to do put up these surveillance towers that we're now dealing with. We continue to uh, to struggle in that, you know, that even though the uh, the lands are impacted by these and we feel for the land and and the ancient community and the uh, burial places that are disrupted. That's what's disturbing uh, the people right now because it's it's uh, we in our culture we do not dig up our ancestors, you know, and we do not uh, take them out of their resting places where this cultureless people do that, and they can uh, without any um, conscious remove uh, our remains and put them in boxes and take them away somewhere, you know. Those are the things I think that the people are not understanding that even though these surveillance towers, uh, you know, we continue to be who we are, but they, they, there is an impact. There's a Im- great impact on the land uh, that it disturbed our ancestors, that it's disturbing the mountain. And it's that at any time that Mother Earth is uh, disrupted by removal of plants and and uh, digging holes and extracting anything is a disturbance, and that's what's happening right now. That that's uh, the dis- dis- that is the disturbance that um, we have to deal with on a on a daily basis. We hear the humming of that uh, surveillance tower every day uh, during 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, and we see the. Uh, we don't see the videos that it's recording, but we know that they are. I walk to my garden and I can hear early in the morning, I can hear the camera moving, following me, you know. And it's um, a friend of mine was saying, well, do you feel like you need to build a wall and hide behind that? And I said, why do I have to build a wall and hide behind it? That's not my way of life. I'm not a criminal and I'm not doing anything that's uh, that's suspicious or that uh, involves criminal activity in any way. I shouldn't be the one that, that uh, will be behind behind be hiding behind a wall. Uh, yes, it's it's disturbing, 
but uh, in 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 a, you know all the things that's happening on our land is uh, all disturbing when every time some other project comes up and it continues it continues everywhere i think a lot of young people uh, need to understand you know that greater understanding of who we are as original people and our responsibilities and our obligations to uh, to continue who we are and that's like we said earlier that's in the language and the understanding of who we are to continue when we're recording right now they're recording this in other words because <laughs> they're, they're surveying yes. you but then yes. they're, everybody's being recorded so it's a big deal but mm-hmm. especially watching you know the border and other hot spots and uh, the graveyards are finding in Canada now of those who didn't survive boarding school as children and yet they're survivors who are they're survivors mm-hmm. of that boarding school and it's gone on for like mm-hmm. over 100 years now and and people don't understand that so it's it's been trying to curb our livelihood with the earth so it's always taking no matter what they're doing the sending sending us sending our children away, taking the children away. And they can't get that consciousness that we have with the earth, the spirit with the earth. And I'm not saying this because we're special. I'm just saying this is the everyday regular thing that maybe the rest of the world, the Westerners have forgotten. So they make words up like nature. They make words up Mm -hmm. that fit fit what happened to them in, in Europe. And yet they're bringing the same concepts here and trying to apply that to land or planning the land. And and yet, because what they're doing is forcing the, the, the earth to adapt to their needs rather than we as Native people adapting uh, her needs to ours. In um, certain areas of Arizona, you'll see all the natural beauty of uh, of our plant life all scraped off and then you see this very green grass <laughs> growing using a lot of water and it's so foreign and and it's uh, it's a, a laughing situation but it's also you know that uh, we know you know who came there and they think they can bring their uh, idea but in the next uh, scene the grass is all dry and you know they're we're running out of water because they don't understand the land and it it's the same way they didn't they didn't they didn't take the time to understand who we were and who we are as as first peoples in our way of lives and how we're uh, we are we don't we don't manipulate uh, nature or what they call nature but we don't manipulate it to live here we we uh, live with it and flow with it, whatever, whatever it grows. You know, in our my community, they build a, uh, a man-made wash and force the water to all rush out of the community. And yet before we'd have a, a flood, a sheet, a sheeting flood throughout the community. And it was it was nice because all the medicine plants would grow and all the spinach, wild spinach would grow and everything would stay green. And now it's uh, really uh, becoming uh, an area where it's so dry that nothing grows. And it's very disturbing. All of that is very disturbing. You know, the concept of coming to a new place and bringing your ideas that that would improve something, sometimes it misses the spot because 
maybe it doesn't need improving at all. And that is Ophelia Rivas, who's an elder activist from the Tohono O'odham Nation. And Ophelia will also have a new website online soon, odahamrights.org. That's O-O-D-H-A-M rights.org. And uh, this is First Voices Radio. And my name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. We'll return. Atlas, from that album, Atlas, by the score, this is revolution, there's a revolution coming, 
Revolution. That's the name of the track. And this is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. We're going back to Ophelia Rivas, an elder of the Tohono O'odham Nation, and her experience daily at the border, U.S.-Mexico border. So when it comes to those ideas that we presented, markedly different, the Westerner would say, well, how do we resolve this issue of the borders? Because if Native people don't see it, but yet that's the reality now is that there are borders in Spanish or Mexicans, and then there's the English, and then there's the French, and then there's you know all the people in Canada who are very different, the Germans, the Dutch, you know, all of those peoples. And they're all came, they all came here to claim and own this land. And it's not then, it says now, get over it. So what I'm saying now, the, the technology, the artificial intelligence out there seems to me, um, from my experiences now, taking the place of human thinking. The humans are allowing machines to, to uh, speak for them. And what we have here now is that technology is probably the camera that's following you around is probably got you censored in. It's got your your face scan. It recognizes you. And it's got, it's, it doesn't have to be a human behind that. So it's just following you, knowing who you are. And it, it matches and scans to that code that's been put in place by your autograph. By, I mean, your face, like an autograph. But now... Our young kids, as you say, are getting lost in that technology. So what happens when nothing works, technology needing electricity to run itself or even gasoline or other kinds of fuels to make it? What happens when the earth runs out? You know, is it going to be a post, post-freedom post day or free, pre pre-freedom or what, what's like fourth of july is coming up it's it's a lot of insanity you know this think this way of thinking that it's that machines will run you know society and it's inhumane and it's inhumane and it's thinking in the beginning you know that machines can run the lives of people but Yet we find that it does. I mean, people are connected to their phones and they're, con- they're continually, uh, they, you can be uh, communicating with the person that's sitting right next to you and have that connection techno- technology-wise, but you don't have a connection human-wise. So it's just dehumanizing people and trying to remove that spirit from the people that makes us who we are. And I the continuation of that and the high technology that's been developed is going to well be continuing to do that. And we have to, it's our responsibility to teach our young people to know who we are. And we may use that technology to teach them, you know, because that's what they know now. And I, I keep uh, reminding people, you know, that once you put that down and you walk outside, you know, and if you don't feel that connection, you know, you need to try harder because there is the connection there. There's a deep connection that you feel just sitting out there and feeling that wind in your face and, and hearing those animals, uh, the birds singing their songs or, or uh, you know, that, that quiet sound out there that a lot of people don't even have an, an idea and have no clue you know, that it's there because they're continually connected to their technology. But that's so intentional to try to dehumanize people 
and especially indigenous people to to just um, demean us to a point where we are uh, a part of the greater social, I guess, group of uh, people that don't have any consciousness and feeling about their, who they are and where they're at. And it's such, the other day we saw a little bit of rain and a little bit of rainbow and we were saying how many people are going to look at that rainbow and say, oh, where's the, the pot of gold? And yet as autumn people, as in Native people, we're going to say the blessings of that rainbow, you know, and the, and the meaning of that water that's making that rainbow. And it has a whole different meaning. My nephew was using that as a, one of his uh, techniques to try to connect people to who they are. And everybody, you know, he asked the question, you know, when you see a rainbow, what do you think of? And everybody said, pot of gold. <laughs> so that was kind of, no, that's not a, a native way to think, you know, you're disconnected. You need to come back to what, go find out from your grandma what that means. It's so important to understand that, just even just that little piece of information. We're speaking with Ophelia Rivas of the Tohono O'odham Nation and against the wall and is not just the idea of it's a barrier, but there's much more because it we've been talking about the main mental capability or incapability. And as we know, the youth, and they said this about us too as youth, that we're losing it. We're losing our language. We're losing our ways. We dress like them. Mm-hmm. We talk like them and we walk like them now. And all their accoutrements of civilization to look better, feel better, know better, and think better. <laughs> you know, all, all of this. So so when Native youth were removing Columbus statues and felling them, they were, in fact, putting replicas of Native people, in, uh, statues of Native people in place of Columbus. And yet there's not enough deep thinking behind that because it's just replicating the same system. Absolutely. Every time that I've seen, uh, even though I have a lot of respect for my brother that uh, volunteered to go to Vietnam and and, and forged, uh, and, and my, my uh, not forged, but my parents signed the paperwork not knowing what was happening and that, but every time I see that flag flying, it has a whole different meaning to me. You know, I'm not a part of the United States. I don't feel that we have the, the same uh, rights as, as what they call Americans. And we, I feel that we, you know, when they wavered those 37 protective laws to build those walls and put up those, you know, spy towers, you know, that, uh, automatically you're left out of that that picture of being what is called American. You know, and when people see us, they say, what what are you complaining about? You're you're an American. And they forget that we're first people and that we have uh, a story behind it, you know. And uh, I was sent to Carson City, Nevada from my hometown, I don't know how many miles that is, uh, from from my uh, village to go to school, boarding school, you know. And when uh, those connections that were discon- that uh, somehow disconnected because we were so far away and we were trying to reconnect with our family every day and stay in connection with our family, it was really difficult because we were restricted to talk our language and, and 
and do the and even have any of our normal foods that we eat and we were eating foreign foods at all it, it, it includes all of that and we continue to uh, survive uh, because I uh, you know we have an obligation I, that's my main uh, resistance is speaking my language and uh, and saying that we have an obligation at our age to continue this work that we're doing to advocate for uh, what we call rights. And although, you know, we're in the United States, what we call the United States, and they say that we have rights, you know, we find that we're very limited in that, especially when they wavered all those protective rights for our lands and for our way of life. And people, uh, the general, in the general public, um, people may have just be surviving as well. I have no idea. I'm not uh, privileged to that kind of information to know what the general public is doing and seeing and, and experiencing at this time. But I know, you know, that when uh, the people were discovered in Canada, it hit everybody's hearts because all, we all have uh, a history of that uh, traumatic experience in, in our lives, whether it's through our own brothers and sisters or our grandmas that experienced that. And when I talk about what's happening on our land, I hope that all uh, First Nations people, Indigenous people will also feel that in their hearts because it's a disturbance on the land and Mother Earth. And we all should feel, feel that uh, disturbance and acknowledge that disturbance and, and make a prayer for, for it to, that we acknowledge that, you know, it is not us creating that, that hole in the land. It is somebody else and that we are sending prayers for, for some type of balance. And that is important to understand that as first people. Censored News talked about other graves being found identified in Shella graves is those water protectors like the Yaki man, Thomas Rojo. And he's uh, one in in many who have been giving water to humans and and they're finding native people assassinations, Mm -hmm. we can call them. But of course, these are native people. It's in their mindset since 1493 with the papal bulls that there are no natives over here. I mean, excuse me, there are no human beings over here. Therefore, native people, how could they say that they are human beings? That's in their mind, even though on paper it says we're going to fight for equality. It's a treatment that we're still getting, that we're not supposed to be here. And that's why the assassinations of several people like uh, Thomas Tomas Rojo and uh, other mm-hmm. folks like uh, August Augustin Valdez, uh, Louis Urbano, mm-hmm. all of these folks were, were found in the desert in the shallow graves because they were giving water to those crossing across that so-called border. When the uh, uh, barricades went up in Vikam, which is uh, traditional Yaki, Yoemi territory, it's, uh, their traditional name is Yoemi. And uh, so we, we went as a delegation, the elders, to stand in solidarity with these people. And we know we know these people as um, uh, my work at the time and uh, continue to be was uh, always with the delegation of elders for translation and support in any kind of way. 
And these three men, that was their jobs too. So I got to know these three men that because they were always with the elders and they did all the work for them, wrote the papers for them, ran for water for them. You know, they're, they're with them all the time. Strong individuals and always uh, doing uh, what was taught to them, you know, to to be respectful to the elders and do the work for the elders. And this is all they they were doing. That's all I've done as well. And yet here they they died, you know, for for doing that because it uh, there's an undercover kind of um, other situation happening there that uh, they're fearful that these young people will reveal. When in the, that's re, that'll reveal that it's time, but you'll understand better why these people died, you know, and they were only advocating for their, their, uh, their elders and for the rights to water because it's vital out there where they live that the river flows to their fields and that they use it uh, like uh, they did for thousands of years. And uh, those, uh, those kind of threats uh, to um, what, they, who, what they've labeled people as activists and people that are advocating for their elders, those kind of threats are, are real. They're very real. I've lived with that for a long time. And um, so those uh, uh, seems to bring us uh, more strength you know, when you're facing your enemy uh, that have more weapons than you, you have to use that ancestral knowledge and strength and power, you know, to overcome those things. And that's what we've had to do for all these thousands of years that we've survived. And the last 500 years is continued, you know, and I just send all the, my, uh, uh, you know, prayers and uh, good wishes to the families of this young man that that made the sacrifice for the people. On a last thought process here is, um, you know, the wall is still there. They some say it's not built all the way. Some say it's going to take more money to take it down than put it up. But it, the fact is, it's still there. And so what can we give to the people to inform them that because of the physical border now, that all the land, I mean, the plant life, the animal migration, even the people who migrated. Now, I know that the Yaquis are probably the most persecuted indigenous group in Mexico, like Brenda Norell says. But here, we don't even know beyond, you know, we are, of course, there's a persecution of native people. Then there's also this untalked about, unseen persecution of the land, the plants and the animals, and especially the birds. Yeah, there's a continuation of uh, of, uh, loss of, uh, you know, protected species of our our, uh, plant life and our animal life. And and, uh, there seems to be no real conversation about that, you know, and when we do our prayers, we still try to remember those things that uh, that are vital to our survival, which uh, it can just be a small hill that's uh, a part of uh, our culture and our way of life. And those are, are crisscrossed by these borders and those uh, 
policies that are made by these governments to to control and to uh, monitor, you know, the people, the remaining people there. Uh, we feel, you know, so uh, a part of uh, this uh, system that um, that continues to, uh, you know, uh, control, try to control who we are. And yet also our tribal governments are so a part of that system that we continue to call them out sometimes on those decisions that they make because, you know, they're decisions that were uh, forced upon them by the, by the federal governments. And uh, they continue to make those type of decisions and we continue to uh, advocate for what, is, what should be the right and common sense way to address these, these issues. We do have people on both sides of the border and the, the people on the Mexico, what they call the Mexico side, the southern side of the border are in just dire uh, situations and they're neglected by the tribal governments. And they have, uh, you know, everybody now is so used to these amenities of electricity and water, running water in your house. These people don't have that. They don't have electricity in their house. They don't have running water in their house. They don't have that that flushing thing in their house. They don't have those things. And when you think about those things and all the, you know, the, the different, uh, um, so like a discrimination, you know, that this border wall have created. It created these uh, these separations uh, of the land and the people and the animals and the plants. And uh, it, you can see the impacts on on the people. Every time I've seen a map of the Tonawatam Nation territory, it ends at the border. And I debate with museums. <laughs> I debate with museums, what happened to the rest of our territory? You know, people are still living on that site. Why does the border end at, and why does the map end at the border? You know, I can name all the communities on the other side of that border, you know. And so those, uh, it's it continued to, uh, what you call education uh, of these people that write these documents and speak these uh, words that we're speaking now to continue to um, send misinformation and use uh, misinformation that's written to continue to teach uh, even our young people in these days. You know, we have to correct those uh, documents, those maps, those school books that are misleading the people and in all, all walks of society. Some people are saying, oh, you guys don't live in a teepee? You know, all time never lived in a teepee. <laughs> and no, we don't get a casino check every month, you know. Those, those kind of typical, kind of stereotypical questions that continue. That yes, we continue to educate people. We have to, it's our obligation. Tona Odom, Voice Against the Wall, Ophelia Rivas, protecting the species of plants and animals and birds and water and rocks and fire, especially yes. in that area, to yeah. respect, acknowledge, and know all of that balance. And to use the language that is familiar with the land, the land recognizes that language. And, you know, science says that they're proving all kinds of things now that indigenous <laughs> peoples already knew. But yeah, we're saying, no, it, that's not all we know. It's not what you see we, we know. There's much more than that. So I think 
understanding the language is really important to everyone, um, that it's not the same as uh, the, the Latin Romance languages like Spanish and French and English and German and on and on. Mm -hmm. So when we say a voice against the wall, what does that really mean? Because voice against mm -hmm. the wall, it's like, oh, she's shouting at a, a wall. But it's sound, mm -hmm. it's those prayers, it's that those mm -hmm. songs mm -hmm. and the drumbeat that are bringing that wall down. Mm -hmm. Like in their biblical times, mm -hmm. the battle of the, Jericho. The wall, uh, we learned that in boarding school, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah, the uh, concept of the wall was, a, a, in the beginning, a mental wall. Uh, the, that wall that's in, uh, in everybody's minds, of, uh, which is uh, racism, which is uh, uh, discrimination, which is violence against things that you don't understand. When the elders had to be subdued uh, uh, by the border patrol and put on their knees and in uh, in uh, what you see on TV and an assassination type of uh, execution type of position and asked to produce documentation and say something. And all the elders could do was laugh because they had no clue what these English words were saying to them. But it was funny that they had to go on there, sit on their knees and, you know, what are we going to do? We're not even Catholic. We're going to pray or what are we doing? You know, but it was that that understanding of that that wall is in your mind and your conscience that you build a society with. And yet we're not a part of that. So that voice is those elders saying, you know, there is no wall. We don't have a wall, but, you know, but we're against this, whatever this wall is that you, you're putting a, a, us against, you know, all the time, because we were crossing the border all the time and we were, we're under surveillance and we were just taking com uh, one of the community's water in our, in a small, um, you know, a truck, and we're all in there, and we all got stopped, and that's what happened. And, and from that day, you know, we, uh, I was um, guided and also really um, directed by the elders to to bring awareness to what was happening there uh, on the lands, and that's how uh, Autumn Voice Against the Wall began. So that is how they contact you is autumnrights.org. O-O-D-H-A-M, writes R-I-G-H-T. That was Ophelia Rivas, who is an elder and activist for the Tohono O'odham Nation. Ophelia also will have a new website online soon. O-O-D-H-A-M, writes.org. O-O-D-H-A-M, Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasing Ghost Horse. <laughs>